everyone, this is Keena Wolfenstein, and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. It has been a little bit since the last episode came out. I have been super, super busy, but I'm really excited about this interview, and I have a few other interviews planned in this next month that are going to be great. So today, my guest is Tori Olds. I was so excited to have her on. A lot of you might recognize her name. Um, I've mentioned her before. I've referenced her before in my work because she is an excellent teacher when it comes to experiential therapy. So Tori uses a blend of experiential modalities, including coherence therapy, internal family systems, and AEDP, Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. Um, She offers trainings and CEUs for therapists. She has an amazing YouTube channel where she breaks down some of these different concepts. So she is just a really influential and wonderful voice in this kind of field of therapy. And I was having a little fangirl moment when she agreed to come on the podcast because I I really have looked up to and admired her work for a few years now. So this is a great conversation. We talk all about emotional learnings and what are schemas and how do our symptoms make sense and how does memory reconsolidation work and all the good stuff. So before I jump into the episode, just a few other announcements. Um, if you look at the podcast description below, I'll have a few links there. I'm going to include Tori's website and her YouTube channel. I also am going to include my link tree. Um, my link tree uh, gives you access to all of the kind of work and resources that I've put together, including different educational workshops that I've done, um, my practice website. We do still have two therapists at my practice that are accepting clients. So we have one in Texas and one in Missouri. So if you're looking for a more experiential trauma-informed therapist in either of those states, you can uh, go to Stronger Psychotherapy, which is in the link tree, or you can just go to strongerpsychotherapy.com. And then Um, please consider supporting the podcast by subscribing to my Patreon. So I have been putting a lot of work into different educational videos on Patreon. And even when I take a little hiatus from the podcast, I continue to make content on Patreon. Um, The the subscribers there really, really help like support my work and, and make it sustainable for me to make content. So if you're interested in bonus content and supporting the podcast, you can check that out. It's only $15 a month. Uh, I think that's about it. So thank you guys for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Okay. Hi, Tori. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. So I'm super, super excited to pick your brain a little bit. I've actually, I've like referenced your videos before on this podcast. So I think people have probably heard your name here and there. Um, so yeah, could we just start with you just, um, talking a little bit about, your passion for experiential therapy and, and how you kind of got to this, this focus that you currently have? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. I mean, you know, I'm a little bit of an unusual story in that, you know, I was raised by two therapists and oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband's a psychologist and my sister's a psychologist. So we're all psychologists. Um, and that was lovely because I, was oriented to sort of the depth pieces, you know, cause my parents were analysts. So we we're talking about the unconscious mind. Um, cause we talked about it a lot. It wasn't like <laughs> they, they taught us things mm-hmm. and we were about things together. Um, but my, when my, I was maybe in, in high school or so, my mom started actually veering a little way from an analytic tradition toward more experiential and by experiential, I just mean, um, I know, I think you've used the word bottom up in your program before, but that we're allowing the mind to sort of like, we're using techniques and presence and mindfulness and creating enough safety 
so that the mind can sort of speak for itself, mm-hmm. um, not be analyzed. And I really mean the mind, I mean the whole mind, but especially the mind, parts of the mind that don't have as much voice typically, which would be like in brain speak would be like subcortical, you know, what we mm-hmm. used to call it, you know, it's the deeper parts of the brain and mind. They're not as readily conscious um, and they're not based on logic and our culture really likes logic. Yeah. <laughs> so we are used to talking from our conscious, you know, minds and because those are smart and powerful and have a story, they already know the answer or they can figure out an answer. <clears throat> they, it's just a, a tendency for those, that layer of our consciousness, our selfhood, mm-hmm. our mind to speak and to want to answer questions. And, um, but the truth is our mind is a whole complex system that has a lot to it that we're not necessarily conscious of mm-hmm. readily, like easily. You know, when I was growing up, it was like the unconscious. <laughs> it was like this like shadow, mysterious realm that like by nature is like almost impossible to directly look mm-hmm. at. So maybe you peer at it through a dream or through like a slip of the tongue or something. But I look at it a little differently now. I think we can actually pretty readily access what we used to call the unconscious. Now we might call implicit learnings or emotional learnings or the deeper parts that make us tick that we're not aware of. I think we can kind of just turn toward it. And if we approach it with respect and safety, which we weren't really doing before in our early days of our field, we were more like analyzing things and seeing what pathology is and like, I don't know, you know, or not going slow enough or not having, we did we're like, especially in the early days with analysts, we weren't doing enough with like the therapist really being there. It's like, let's, yeah. let's, let's create a template of compassion. Let me be here as a real person. So you're not feeling like this, like specimen being analyzed, you know? Yeah. 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 More relational. It's a lot more yeah, relational. Yeah, that's now. just not how the brain works. Like yeah. if we feel unsafe, the brain's not going to let deeper information start flowing. But if we do feel safe and we direct our awareness in a more mindful way, then it really is possible to open up a deeper kind of like, basically it's as simple as self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. We're just not, sorry, I know I'm talking a long time. So no, I, please, yeah. I reach, reach, regroup where I'm going, but I just, this reminds me of a point here, which is, I think it's not, it's not actually that self-awareness is that hard. Um, but when we're going through our day, we're responding, like life just moves really fast. Right. And so we can't think, we don't have time to pause after making that snide comment to our teenage daughter. Do you know what I mean? Because we're also like cooking breakfast and like having to think about our, we have like so much on our plate, we're moving quickly. We have to respond now to the next thing that we just don't have the spaces, especially in the moment, often in the heat Mm -hmm. of the moment, like when we're triggered, let's say, Mm -hmm. to really slow down and say, okay, like what is happening inside me? Like, what's going on just to ha- like, literally, it's just like, we can do self-awareness. We just, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I like the automatic responses are so much of where that subconscious stuff comes out, right. Where you just react in the moment. And then later you're like, wait, why did like, why did I react that way? Right. Um, so you're kind of talking about self-awareness, but of more of that, like, un- like beneath the head, like felt sense, you know, kind of like what's coming up automatically in those really yeah, quick- it's just like, yeah, it's just like being aware. It's like, <laughs> you know, um, I think there's all sorts of ways people describe it. We could talk about mindfulness. We could talk about, you know, the observing ego is how yeah. you speak about it. You know, we could talk, you know, deep self-exploration and the techniques to get there and all the things. 
but really it just comes down to, can we notice what's going on for mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. What are we feeling? Like when we, when we think about that feeling, what does it remind us of? And like, mm-hmm. think about that. Like, it's just, things will start to occur to us. We'll start to like map it out. Like, Oh yeah. It was that moment that I had that reaction. Like, Oh, I really feel like small right there mm-hmm. young, or I feel so scared. Like I just expect danger, you know, you know, and we actually right. are more able of doing that than I think we originally thought with in our beginning 60 years of our field. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we thought we need like an expert to like listen and analyze for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that's just kind of setting the stage for like, I, I don't, I can't remember the question you asked, but I think we're starting to aim toward talking about like emotional learnings and schemas and like, yes, what pick up and, and, um, so anyway, so yes, yeah. yes, no, that was, that was a really great launch into this. So yeah. Can you speak a little bit about, so like through, through that kind of interest in, in what's experiential, how did you come to the modalities that you use? Like, oh, what are they and how, how do they kind of like work together? Um, can you talk about kind of the specific therapeutic approaches that you found really helpful for this? Yeah. Yeah. That's I, now, now I know where I went off. Of yeah. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah. So, so I was lucky because when my mom started training in a very emotion focused form of therapy, so that was kind of my entry into experiential work was the more like mindful, let's be so Matt, like let's be in our body being aware of what we feel. Mm-hmm. She did it in a type of group therapy that no one's ever heard of, but it's mm-hmm. called SCT system centered therapy, but it's, but in the context of the group, people don't share stories about their life or even talk about themselves. Really. They just talk about what they're feeling in the moment, <clears throat> what they're noticing in the moment. So they say, wow, when you say that, I feel this. And then they share back and forth. Oh, I, when you say that, I feel this. And it's all like what's happening in the body. In Interesting. The moment. It's, it, it was especially in the seventies and eighties when she was starting it. But even today, it's like so off the map of what normal. Yeah. Like it's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I was so glad. And when I was, as soon as I graduated high school, I went to one of those weekends where we're just doing that all weekend. It was like, I loved it. It was embodied. It was in the moment. It was emotion focused. <clears throat> and then I, so I love the emotion focused work. When I was in college, I started doing a very intensive like mindfulness practice and kind of became a little bit of a mystic. So I was like studying all my mm. spiritual tradition. And um, so that really impacted me as well. Um, but as most therapists know, and other people, non-therapists might be interested to know, you know, in graduate school, we don't really learn this stuff. Right. <laughs> Not <laughs> so at all. <laughs> if it's someone's graduate school is like a break. <laughs> I mean, I was still learning and doing my meditation and stuff, but it was a little bit of a break. And then, and then toward the end of graduate school, I, I got in- introduced to AEDP, Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, mm-hmm. which was very much a fit because it was emotion focused. So it was very much like, what are you feeling? Where is that in your body? Can we help you move through that emotion in an empowered way that's about connection? So you can, so your mind can really unlearn negative associations related to emotion or my needs, or it's kind of attachment mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was beautiful. Um, and I love that. I still love that. I just did a whole three-part series on ADP for my, for on YouTube. Um, uh, and it's amazing type of work. Um, but then I also did after that somatic experiencing training, and mm-hmm. that's also amazing modality. There's so, there's so, so, and then I, I'll just say the rest of them. Then I did, um, some IFS training and, uh, coherence therapy is kind of where I landed. Yeah. Along yeah. the way, I studied a lot with Stan Tatkin and he's still a dear friend with couples therapy. Okay. So, um, so I think the, re- the way I describe the similarities between all of these, mm-hmm. all of those approaches 
are, this is my language for it, but Mm -hmm. let me say the phrase and then I'll explain it, are trying to untangle the tangles in our unconscious mind. Mm. So for me, when I say the word tangle, well, first actually, let me say something about how the brain and mind works. Mm -hmm. Brain, especially the lower parts of the brain, the more implicit learning, emotional learning systems are associational. So they, it's just our lower brain is tracking what tends to come together in space and time. When this happens, I can expect this next because it happened before. Mm-hmm. And there, therefore I should do this. The the Most people are, are aware of the idea of being like conditioned, like of right. So like if the mouse hears a bell and then gets a shock. Right. It's like our predictive, predictive models. The predictive. Yeah, we're exactly. Yeah. We're all of these predictive models based on like, basically unconscious statistical analysis. It's like the probability (laughs) that this is going to happen based on, based on past experience. Yeah. And that's a very different um, kind of way of knowing than our, our intellectual brain, which is how do these logically connect? Mm -hmm. Like the, the mouse doesn't have to logically see there's no logical connection between a bell and shock. Right. But if experience they connected, that's what the deeper brain is paying attention to. Then we predict it will happen again. Mm-hmm. which is actually pretty smart. Like I, it, it makes sense. It's like a solid way that the brain should be organized. Like totally have our intellect so that we can challenge that. But like, this isn't crazy. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like it's, It makes evolutionary sense and everything else. Yeah. However, I think the way we get tripped upside in terms of mental health is when things become associated, kind of become like little, little actually neural, this is, this is like not just a metaphor, like neural connections are made. Right, right. <laughs> Neurons are associated, connected together so that this stimulus is connected to this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going to happen. And that's connected to, well, I better do this to protect myself. So all of these neural connections get set up in what we call neural networks. And though that's the tangle. So that's a tangle is my word for like a neural network. And the reason I think of it as a tangle and that we want to untangle these is some associations are really going to harm us to have. Right. Right. Can you give an example? So if you don't mind, I ha- I was just thinking about this recently and I had yeah. it's so good for audio because it uses my arms. I talk a lot with my arms. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but if you can imagine me putting my arms way out and then kind of bringing them in. So think of it like this. Think this is how I was categorized, categorizing it in my mind. There's some very like distal things that we learn to fear. Like if we have a phobia of snakes or something, mm. or elevators, right? <clears throat> so that could like mess with our, our life a little bit, but it's kind of distal. It's like not to the core of us or our needs or anything. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. We're talking about like phobias, basically. Like we learn snakes are dangerous or nature is dangerous. or and, But then as we come in, as we get closer to home, sort of things that are, I almost want to say sacred or, you know, start can take on these negative associations mm-hmm. all the way down to our very core mm. where our selfhood is the thing that got tangled up right or badness it's danger or badness because it could just be not danger but just like lack of value badness you know yeah but a little out to that could be other people you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or part of me because of a, a like it could be like absolutely to my core I'm the thing that's bad that's like the one of the most horrible things to learn yeah yeah or, or some, or just like a little next to the core could be like some part of me is bad. Right. Right. Like I'm bad because I'm gay or because I'm, you know, my, one of my identities. Right. Like, so a uh, uh, learning of like, 
it, my emotions are too much. And my like, emo- exactly. when I'm, when I'm vulnerable, exactly. I'm going to be rejected. Like that's right. something exactly. that's going to mess with us on such a deeper exactly. level. Or some yeah. part of my mind is threatening either to others, which then I don't like it for that reason, right. or threatening to myself. Like, right. if I, like my emotion is now paired with an association, I'll be overwhelmed. Right. Or right. anger makes me a bad person. Or right. it means I'm going to be a rageaholic like my dad, or, you know what I mean? So we begin to get these associations to ourselves, to parts of ourselves, to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we learn to like, maybe not tr- like another person is dangerous. Um, certain behaviors can become dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think when we really have trouble is when something healthy or good gets associated to badness or danger. Mm, like one of our core attachment needs or, or identities need. or exactly. yeah. Identity mm-hmm. need like emotions, like it's healthy to set boundaries. Right. Right. Oh, but then someone could have a, a, a learning that says, no, you don't, you'll be rejected or right. Other will be mad or, you know, what I mean? yeah. right. 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 Exactly. If we learn that like actual bad things are bad, that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, touch, touching a hot stove with my hand yeah, is exactly. bad. Like that's, you know, that's all right. But when it's like right. being close to people is bad, but exactly. yeah, we need to be close to people, you yeah. know, to be healthy as mammals. And right. then it's like this inner conflict between what we need and what we fear. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that's the right. crux of it. That's what creates, I would venture to say most mental health problems, you know, is yeah. something that we need, like, like you said, like a need, like I need to be able to be vulnerable. I need to be able to say, no, I need to be able to like relax around some type, you know, whatever, right. Love myself, you know, um, connect with people, you know, be close to people like any of that. Yeah. I think a lot about attachment needs or what, what you said about feelings. Like I need to be able to tolerate letting myself, you know, cry, letting myself like feel anger, letting myself, but it's like those, those natural range of emotions gets really restricted or, Right. Mm-hmm. And then and in a way that produces a lot of suffering because right. it's like in this that we're avoiding a certain suffering. Like we think letting ourselves cry will be overwhelmed. Yeah. And again, this isn't crazy stuff. It's because when we were a child, we it were was real. That it that was, was the reality. Right. It was the reality. So to- totally makes sense. It's not like it came out of nowhere we made this stuff up. Right. Um, and we'll talk maybe in a moment about why it might be time to undo those things, but um, even though they were real threats at one time. Yeah. But um but yeah, if you, if you're, every time you feel sad, now you feel anxiety Yeah, or you're having to do something like, you know, toxic positivity. Like I'm always right. positive or I'm, I'm numbing or I'm numbing out or I'm, I'm drinking, you know, to, so yeah. I don't feel any sadness or, you know, that kind of thing or shutting down to getting depression. So I don't feel anger. It's usually, interestingly enough, it's usually the second thing that people are more conscious of in terms of why they come into therapy. The second thing you mean, like the adaptation, basically. Exactly. Uh Mm -hmm. This thing. So maybe that that's worth saying more slowly. Yeah. 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 Anytime something is, is wired or coded as dangerous or bad. Now, some, some don't have solutions and there, that's a whole other thing, but let's say there's like, okay, anytime I learn about a certain badness, suffering, like we just said, all my sadness will make me feel overwhelmed, whatever the thing is, I'll be rejected. If I'm honest, if I'm myself then there's some, the brain will just naturally look for, okay, well, what do I wire in there as the way of protecting myself? What do I need to do to to manage this risk? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. what people, yeah. So the, the line of kind of that our, our adult problems begin as childhood solutions or that people come to therapy with their solutions, not their problems. It's like that, yeah. that's the thing that people have awareness of is how they responded to yes. the original yes. injury and not usually that like root thing. Exactly. And they're, and they, and they're, and they hate it usually like, right. I hate that I drink. I hate that I cut. I hate that I overeat. I hate that I starve myself. I hate that I don't let people close or that I don't let myself have my feelings. And that, and they're aware of that, like as like the symptom. Right. And part of the work of therapy is then understanding like, well, yes, that causes problems, but what is, what problems does it solve? Right. Right. Yeah. I love the way that coherence therapy frames that about the, the, that people come in like anti-symptom and then we figure out like the pro-symptom position and it it creates a lot of relief and it helps de-shame these things. But when, when we're able to really sense that, okay, this actually was like functional and coherent and not just me being like messed up for no reason. And so I think that that first step is like, probably one of the common threads that I see between like IFS and coherence therapy, right. Is that all of them look at like, how does this symptom actually make sense instead of just how do we correct it? How do we solve it and stop it? I just, yeah, I just wanted to, to put an asterisk or stars by what you just said. Um, especially because I've been talking so quickly and like covering ground really quickly. Um, but that is worth repeating. It's, it's, it's such a fundamental thing that, there's no, let's see how to, and I, let me see how to, how to say this, you know, people can come in so confused by why yeah. they're doing what they're doing. And I think when we're confused and on the surface, it seems kind of bad, mm-hmm. like we yell at our kids or whatever we do. It's just easy to think that it's like a character flaw, right? Mm-hmm. Or that, or it's something to be ashamed of or embarrassed of or we're just not trying hard enough, or we're not doing our best. And really, really, the truth is we are always doing our best. Yeah. And we're, it's just how we're wired. It's just how we're evolved. It's not our fault. We evolved to this way to learn these patterns and then just instinctively protect ourselves the way that that network knows to do. Yeah. yeah. Of course, we're going to do that. And, and it's a shame it's less conscious because it makes it a little harder to change so mm-hmm. it's why we do therapy and <laughs> mm-hmm. like need to work mm-hmm. on it, but like it's, it, we're, it, we're, it's really not easy to be yeah. human and to have these. This yeah. Brain. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I think when, I, I mean, my work focuses a lot on like attachment stuff and, you know, specifically, so like attachment adaptations. And I was watching one of your videos, I think about um, schemas and you, you framed it in this way where I think you said that basically we adapt. So like we can survive our parents and our parents can survive us or something right. like yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah. Had ne- I had never heard it framed quite that way before, but <laughs> I was like, wow, that's really like excellent because, <clears throat> you know, I, I just always think about as kids, how we have, we're so powerless and we have so few options, right? It's like you are fully dependent on your family yeah. system, your, your yeah. caregivers growing up. And so, um, yeah, I guess, could you, could you share a little bit more about like what that means to you, like adapting so we can survive our families and they can survive us? Yeah. Yeah. We need to be okay when we're young and to be okay means we have a family who's okay and a family that accepts us as part of that circle. Mm. So if we feel like we're doing something our parents can't deal with, if we get mad and mom gets depressed for two days, we, we sense our parents' vulnerabilities. Like it, we, if we totally. see them off and now they're anxious and now they're fighting more and now they're, we're like, what can I do to help them out? Like I, cause right. I need them to be okay. 
So I can be okay. I can be okay. Yeah. (laughs) Cause I need them to be taking care of me. Yeah. So, or, uh, if, if we sense that, so, so we need, yeah, them to be able to handle us. And then we also need to be able to handle them. Like if, if they're just mean or, or threatening or problematic in the way they're, they're treating us, how can we avoid that? Mm -hmm. How, how can we sort of like manage the, what they're doing to us? Right. Right. Um, and so either way, there's a lot of learning that's just gonna, you know, the kid's brain is like, anytime something, when we're young, it's about other people and it's about suffering. Our brain's like, those are yes. the three things where it's like absorbing the learning, you know, especially, yeah. Yeah, especially if it has to do with other people, relationships and making them okay. And as pain, pain is involved. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I really appreciate what you're saying of like, they, it, it, it's not all, always on only about attachment. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, everybody has some attachment history mm-hmm. or good or bad. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of learning about what parts of me are manageable to others and how yeah. do I position myself to get the best out of others or prevent pain from others. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes it strikes me like, um, I think I said this in one of the videos too, and I, uh, I can't remember which one, but that so, <laughs> so much of our human struggle has to do with the fact that like, when we're young and our brains are very wired as humans in the way, in the way that other animals aren't to like figure out, well, how should I be based on what I'm learning versus like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to act like a squirrel or something, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> how should I be based on like, what's going to be best for this context and this culture mm-hmm. and this climate and this everything. Like mm-hmm. I'm learning my people, how, what do we do to survive? Right. What do I to survive? So I'm absorbing all of that. But while I'm so open in that window of like really learning, one of the realities that's true for every single person is I'm young and powerless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that just gets absorbed in as reality. I'm young and powerless. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, yep. that sucks that our first take, like our first impression, <laughs> yeah. of, you know, of what it is to be human or reality or how it feels to be alive happens in the context of being trapped, powerless, not having control, not having a voice. Right not really being able to regulate our emotions by ourselves. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everything's yeah. seeming good than us. Like that sucks. And I think that stays with, can mm-hmm. you know, stay with us mm-hmm. and be yeah. still a reality that's somewhere that that's the type of things that we can work to update. Right. Right. Yes. That's so true. Um, So in terms of that updating, I guess one of the ways that I always think of the way that those schemas play out in life is that we, we construct these like maps of, you know, what we need to do and and how we need to be to stay safe. But then those maps, they don't stay specific to the context in which they were learned. Right. It's not just like, oh, my mom is like this. So this is how I need to be with my mom. It, it becomes generalized out to be like, this is how people are. And this is how I need to be in the world. Right. And so I I always think about that work as being like basically to de generalize and to be like, yeah, that really was how you needed to be with your mom growing up in the context of being a child and the way that she was and the way that your family was, you know, but how do we like help the brain and the body learn that that's not consistent truth across the board? Um, So yeah, can you talk a little bit about like how, how you get people to (laughs) unwind the tangle, detangle, tangle, tangle, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think the first thing is, um, you know, as you've talked about on this podcast, I believe, in fact, I think Sam talked about it when he came in, mm-hmm. you know, there is an endogenous natural system the brain has for updating old learnings. 
um, called memory reconsolidation. So that is what we're aiming for, is we're aiming to, to give the brain the experiences it needs to have memory recon reconsolidation occur. And one of the first steps of that, I, I assume you've kind of outlined the steps before, but just for review, that's like, mm -hmm. you know, to, to send, like activate the original learning, which really just means send electricity down that neural network that we we're talking about. Like we need it firing. We need that mm -hmm. prediction alive in the brain that says I'm about to get hurt or I'm right. bad, whatever it is. We need that firing at the same time that the brain is kind of just witnessing some information that feels real, not an idea or a thought, but like really witnessing a new reality that disproves the prediction in some way. Yeah. So they both can't be true at the same time. Yeah. That happens, you know, the proteins kind of unlock, the network becomes labile and is open for learning. Right. Um, if, it, if it's repeated. So anyway, but so, so um, I think one of the reasons this doesn't, I mean, there's, it's interesting to think about like, why doesn't that happen naturally out in the wild? Why do we need therapy mm -hmm. for it? But I think one of the thing is we're so oriented to one of the ways we learn to manage ourselves is to be less conscious of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know in the beginning I was saying, well, it's just because life moves too busy. You know, we're, it's, everything's fast and a lot of demands. So we don't have time to slow down. That's one, that's one part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the other part is that we actually learn as an adaptation to ignore certain parts of ourselves, certain parts of our experience. Yeah. That's one of the ways we have our parents handle us, right? And <laughs> don't mess with them is because they're tolerant right. for like emotions or like, hey, let's talk about this difficulty our family is having and like the truth of that. Or let's, you know, like there's topics, there's knowings, there's feelings, there's behaviors that are just like outside the realm. Right, right. We get good at just shutting down and shutting just, off different parts of ourselves. Yeah, one yeah. of the main ways we we do adapt is by becoming less conscious of things. That's why we're all trying to do mindfulness all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have yeah. like dramas. We probably would just naturally be mindful. Right. Um, but um, um, so because of that, I think we're we're rarely allowing electricity. If if we're having that prediction triggered then we're probably overwhelmed, mm. um, which actually when we're overwhelmed, our mismatch prediction system goes offline. In other words, we can't tell that we're like the part of our brain that could say, oh, this isn't going as I predicted. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's uh, not there. So we can't, we're not in a mental space where we can notice that this is better than I predicted. Oh, interesting. Okay. Not interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, so the goal of therapy is in a way of saying, okay, let's like, like when we're not in therapy, it's almost like we're suppressing it and not triggering it. And so we're not even aware of it or it's like active, but that's like all we're aware of and we're overwhelmed. Right. 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 And, yeah. yeah. Cause I always thought it was interesting that with coherence therapy, when they're talking about when you get to the juxtaposition disconfirmation stage, that sometimes you can actually pull on things that have already happened in the past yeah. as, but so it's like, we can art, we can experience disconfirmations, but our brains are simply not able to like absorb them in the places that they need to. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's like, they're not, it's rare for both of those networks to be online at the same time. The one that's saying right. danger and the one is actually clearly able to witness. I'm not in danger. Yeah. Like the, you know, either we're kind of like, just so triggered because we're in danger and we're not noticing, you know, or right. like ignoring the fact that we have that vulnerability that believes we're in danger. So, right. so that's kind of the trick of therapy in some ways is to say, is to find ways to access and bring on, bring to life a little bit, bring online a little bit. Cause that's step one. Some, some like, Oh my God, I'm scared of that. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or gosh, I have this knowing 
it feels true. Like I was just working with someone this week and it's like, um, she's been like studying all this, like, like in her adult life, she's been studying all these pieces that make her feel like God forgives everybody, you know, like this new version of Christianity she's been learning. Mm. Like in the, when we really tracked it, she believes some sins are not forgivable. Mm-hmm. And one I did is not forgivable. And I'm basically going to hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that was a layer and right. it's not what her conscious mind believed, but like very clearly in her unconscious mind, she still held on to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That disconnects between what we know up yeah. here and what we know down there. Yeah. But she didn't, but it was interesting because it was causing her all the suffering, but she hadn't quite realized she still believed that. Like yeah. It, it is work to like go back inside enough to really say, Deep down, what am I predicting here? Mm-hmm. What am I associating? What do I really emotionally seem to know about this? Like, like a, like I might have an idea, like, oh, all people are fine, but like, do I really believe I'm okay? Like, on an emotional level, I just got it wired in this early template that like I'm broken or I'm too much, you know, or my feelings are too much or whatever, and and to to be able to like purposefully bring that network online. Yeah. But with a lot of mindfulness, so it's not overwhelming. Yeah. It's still attending to it. It's like, it's direct, it's bottom up. It's like, it's real. It's not intellectualizing about it. It's like, that's what mindfulness is so good at. It lo- allows us to both look at something honestly. So we're receiving it, but not be overwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. We're observing it. So when we can kind of like track that, then there's a chance, um, sometimes just verbalizing it, finding the words for it and like, oh my God, I believe that. Right find sometimes language like that, that to do this means this. And that sometimes just saying it out loud, if we're regulated enough, our brain can say, Hey, actually it's like a little ping, something else. Like I, I, I think I use the word mismatch detection system or, yeah. or mismatch detection system. Our brain's always checking everything say, is this true? Right. So if we really say it clearly, the brain will say, Oh, I have other evidence for that. Uh, hold on. That doesn't quite fit anymore. It doesn't quite fit. Yeah. 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 You ever have like experience where you're like, now that I say that out loud. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I feel that as deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. evidence for that actually. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't always pop. Sometimes you have to create new experiences or imagery work or inner child work or lots of ways to create like the new experience that sort of shows the brain something else to be true. Yeah. Yeah. How does, um, how does parts work fit into this? Like how, what is the the value of IFS when it comes to doing this kind of work? Yeah. So on either level, it can either be used to explore the nature of the learning. Um, like when you're working, like for instance, with the protector part, when you ask, what are you afraid would happen if you didn't drink? Right. You know, right. you begin to have a conversation. That's like a, it's like peering into the part that had that learning in this case, we call it a part that has a learning, yeah. but like you just asked, what did you learn? Like the, the one that makes me drink, <laughs> the one mm-hmm. that makes me drink, like why? And you just kind of, you get, you just learn to have a friendly, again, remember the brain opens to show you things when you have a friendly, compassionate, safe, yeah. you're not flooded because you're kind of mindfully observing it or, or unblending from it. And IFS, mm-hmm. you're it's like, oh, it's just a part of me. Then that part can speak back. It's like, well, what I know is that this I'll be overwhelmed with how alone I feel, or I'll, you know, give some context. Um, and, but, but the young wounded parts can also tell you what they believe too. Once you talked with them, it's like, well, I learned I'm bad or I'm not, I'm not worthy or I'm basically alone or like, you know, so so you just, the, the reason to do it through parts in which you do not have to do it all, um, 
that that's just literally one technique. It's just one tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, what's nice about parts is it helps kind of keep organized because we have more than one learning. Right. Sometimes to kind of keep it organized a little bit, like, okay, you want to learn this and your job is to make sure this, because you Mm -hmm. learn and this other neural network over here that's saying, yeah, but make sure this, when we think about another part, it's like, it just helps our brain organize it to image it as different versions of ourselves. The one that's perfectionistic, but the one that wants to say, I'm going to give up and, you know, and um, it just keeps things a little more clear one it also helps with mindfulness because when it's a part, it's not the whole and it helps right. to mm-hmm. us be like, okay, this is just, it's not the truth necessarily. I'm just listening right. to what part of me believes it's very grounding. Um, so that's all for like what we call like discovery work. Like what yeah. did you learn? But in terms of the memory consolidation work, it's also a wonderful way to see a new truth. Because mm. if you go back and see your wounded child, there's a good chance your adult self will look at him or her or the people around them or the situation in a different way than your child self understood it. Right. So be, like being, because the way that children interpret these different like family attachment experiences, you know, tends to be from, of course, like the view of a child. So it's going to be a lot more shaming and a lot more taking blame onto the self and a lot more yeah. versus them being able to go back as an adult and actually witness like, wow, like you were, you know, I was actually like a lovable kid and like this exactly. family stuff had like nothing to do with me. And exactly. yeah, mm-hmm. that's the two things. Look how lovable I am. And this had nothing to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two cores. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's really hard not to have some self-compassion come online. We, yeah. If we imagine ourselves in our most painful moment at seven or eight or whatever, yeah. three, you know, and see that little kid suffering. Yeah. And it is it, when we look, it's like looking again, it's like, let's, let's let the brain look again, but now as an adult, right? Right. Like we couldn't see ourselves objectively when we actually were three, but like now we can, right. we have a lot more bandwidth and wisdom and capacity and just knowledge. <clears throat> So when we look at ourselves, wow. And then we can show the, th- the, I mean, we say show the three-year-old, but really it's just like that network in our brain that had the imprint, right. not bad. This is just a way of like allowing that to happen through imagery kind right. of. But if it feels like, okay, self, you look at yourself. This is how you thought you, it was your fault that dad that did that or, you know, whatever. Right. And, then, and then we just gently show the other truth, you know, or say like, mm-hmm. can you come behind my eyes and look at you? through my eyes, through this perspective. Right. And that becomes the new, the new kind of disconfirming thing online to unlock memory consolidation so that it it can actually go in. Because if we don't have both, that's the new science. If we don't have both online at the same time, change doesn't happen. That's, I think that's why a lot of times people say, well, I know that with my head, but I have trouble believing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because that's, that's not bringing online the original Exactly. Emotional learning. Yeah. Which yeah, okay. I, I think that's where so many people get stuck in therapy. That's where I was stuck in therapy for a long time. And when, because I was very, very like cognitively aware of all, all the things. And I was like, why can I not get like anything to actually change, you know, in, in my felt sense of the world. So when I learned about this stuff, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. And I, I think um, for a lot of people in therapy, it can be, um, I find that it can almost be confusing sometimes of like, well, why are we trying to just, you know, connect right back in with like all of this stuff that I'm trying to overcome or that I'm trying to shift. And it's like, yeah, but we, yeah, it has to be open for anything new to actually come in. That is a really, really good point. And it, I love that there's such clear science around that. Cause we, we kind of have known that as a field for a long time, we shouldn't know why based on the brain, 
Yeah. But it was hard to explain. Like this kind of like Bruce Hecker says, if you're having, you have to go toward the trouble, not away from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I mean, there's, there was always these like little weight, you know, or, or, um, uh, the, the guy who invented EFT, um, mm. Les Greenberg, you know, he'll say like, you can't leave a place until you've arrived there. Mm. There were these kind of poetic ways we would talk about it. We knew like we had to go deep enough or what, you know, right, had, right. it was like more imagistic, like go deep or something. Right. Um, but really it's like, it's just the intellectual mind talking to itself is not going to do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think of it as like a language barrier sometimes where it's like mm-hmm. our, like um, the emotional brain and the logic brain speak like two different languages. Yeah. And when you're just speaking from the logic brain and you're trying to get the emotional self to shift, it's like, there's, there's a language barrier. Like you're not speaking the same language. And so, so much of this experiential stuff I feel like is learning how to actually like, you know, to communicate with our like emotional selves. And often the, the, the intellectual brain is also just talking about the wrong thing. Yeah. The intellectual brain is talking about the symptom. Right. It's just saying, don't be scared, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even know what we're scared of. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. we have to get down when it does finally clearly witness, like, I believe this will happen. That's, that's what's producing the anxiety. Yeah. And sometimes the, the whole mind can answer and say, well, we know something different. Right. But it's, we haven't found the right spot to even begin the conversation yet. Often. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when when you're talking about schemas, schemas basically are are a combination of this predictive model of like, what do I expect? What's going to happen? And then is it also the adaptation kind of all together? Fully be a schema. It's supposed to be the prediction of the suffering and then the adaptation of the solution. They sell problem and solution or suffering and avoid that suffering or whatever. Um, But sometimes there are. I know we're kind of getting advanced and going a while here, but like there are certain learnings that don't necessarily have solutions. Right. And then they might just produce like a panicky feeling, you know? Um, oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, like, or disorganized attachment, for instance, like that's the problem with it is there was no solution. <laughs> right. Right. It's kind of, um, you're, you're screwed either way. What to do. Stuck. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that usually is more work around like really helping the part that learned that's usually like trauma stuff where there's like terror or fear, like, yeah. to like really f- get out of that moment, like come to a different moment where there's a new reality that is safer or, or maybe now there is a solution when there wasn't one before, right? or, you know, things like that, or, or you can tolerate it now in a way you couldn't tolerate before. There's, there's always something that can be disconfirmed. If, if there's not, I mean, let me say what I mean by that. Cause that, yeah, yeah. You're in sort of not true. When we're working on a psychological piece, there's something to be disconfirmed. Mm-hmm. There's tons of suffering that has nothing to do with our, our psychologies. Right. Right. You know, if my kid died tomorrow, I would be suffering. And that's like, there's nothing under that. That's not <laughs> right, right, right. That's not you interpreting things in some yeah. way. That yes, yeah. so, exactly. And, so when yeah. I'm, I'm really talking about like mental health pieces, like when there's like something we're doing and and it's a response that doesn't seem like the natural, like the healthy. Maybe it's a bit exaggerated or it's a bit. So, so there's something there that we can work with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it might be the nature of the problem. It might be the nature of the solution. Like yeah, that problem still is there, but can we find a new solution for it? Right. Um, like, because again, there's, there's still a lot of problems. There's racism, there's like issues in the world, Yeah. but, but okay, that's true. So, but now as an adult, how would you like to respond to that? Right. Yeah. Or if it's really something unsolvable, like we've come down to something unsolvable, then we, then the piece around that is grief. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and being able to let yourself feel and tolerate 
grief basically. Exactly. Cause grief is its own process. It doesn't make yeah. the world perfect, but it does make life bearable. I mean, it, it helps us be well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that is sometimes one of the tangles we find isn't so much like a learning that's like how to protect myself. It's sometimes unprocessed grief, I yeah. think tangles, but it can lead to symptoms. And so like depression, you know, um, yeah. sometimes it's getting back to that place. And the reason I think it was a tangle, it's like, it holds the knowledge of the loss, but not in a way that's like integrated or metabolized into the whole. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a, like a whole other conversation that, but but there is work you can do that I think actually does use memory consolidation. That would be kind of complicated to describe, but like that is, it's like, it's like some parts of our knowing just have to be metabolized. We're not going to yeah. change it. Yes. Mom didn't love me that there's no disconfirming that that's true. That happened. And we can hold loving witness around it so that it's almost like the, the, the toxic of that, the, the horrible, the pain of that sort of like spread out and like become mm-hmm. It's like, yes, that's true. And there's still love in this world and there's beauty right. and there's the, the nature and, you know, and it, it can kind of like be worked through right? So less like in its raw and processed form. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think one thing that I find a lot is that some of the protective mechanisms are to avoid having to go through grief, right? It's like, uh-huh. like I find like a lot of like a shame grief connection where it's like, as long as I am shaming myself and thinking that I was unlovable, I won't have to feel the overwhelming grief of the fact that like my parents didn't love me, right? Yeah. Say that like again. That yes, exactly. It's a perfect example of like, yeah. I'll just blame myself so I don't have to look at mom and dad's as really they didn't love me. Right. Or, and that's really sad. And I don't want that to be true. So I'll just make it my fault. That gives me a little more right. Right, right, right. It or something. It's like, nope, that's, that's, it's, and it's unchangeable. And you trying to work on yourself is not going to change it. And then it's like, whenever you've hit against something that cannot be changed, the, the freedom, the way toward freedom is grief. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. So thank you. How do you, how do you help someone learn that they can tolerate grief though? Cause that, that brings up, like, <clears> I feel like that's sometimes the core fear is that like, I can't feel this grief. Like it's so painful and it's so deep that like, I'm going to die or like, I'm just going to like, it's just going to hurt too much. And so it feels so necessary to keep like avoiding that grief in different ways. That's right. So there are a few core ways of doing that. There's really, you could do it so many ways, but it's always going to have to do with being able to tap into the feeling um, with a sense of resource. Hmm. So, so that it, and, and, and also pacing, you know, um, so that could be through the therapist, really encouraging mindfulness and asking questions like, where do you feel that in your body? Right. So that you're, can you put a hand on that spot in your body? Mm-hmm. There's a lot we can do to make it bearable the one of the main ways is through so there's a couple main categories one would be through the support of the therapist like that's called Mm co-regulation i'm here with you we can do this together can you feel me by your side yeah and that creates a whole other wave and that's kind of the core of adp we're talking about adp oh cool so any anybody who wants more on that like i did go to those three adp videos and we'll talk about like that whole system of going through grief with another person and seeing it's manageable and then like undoing the schemas that emotions are too scary and memory consolidation. So I talk all about that, that, that version of in those ADP series, you can do it through parts because it's less overwhelming. You still get the feeling of that. You're still witnessing it when you're witnessing the inner child, but you're not being the inner child. Yeah. It's it's, it's much less, you're less likely to become like overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. In fact, almost an IFS, they never find people get overwhelmed because we're doing it through parts. So, right. 
So that's one way to do it. It's like, we can face this. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a part of you learn to different, but then any other emotional regulation, to, you know, anything you do that's resourcing that lets it go slow, like in somatic experiencing, for instance, right? titration and pendulation, like let's yep. let it go slow. Let's find your body. Let's take it bit by bit and just do small bites of right. you know, um, that's usually more around fear than grief, but, um, but so there's many, many techniques, as long as they have a new experience, that's an empowering positive experience around having those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Which in and of itself, that almost feels like it's, it's a juxtaposition because we don't get to experience that when we're in original traumas, like there's no pacing, there's no resourcing, there's no being like, I need to slow down and like get some co-regulation here. Right. It's like those traumas happen and we're in it and we're flooded and we have no resources. And so even that is such a like new experience for our nervous systems to be having. That's right. I think, I think there's two core schemas that tend to get dispelled when we do like have someone really help us through an emotion one the core schema of core aloneness yeah and basically alone this world no one's paying attention to my experience if you have a therapist who's saying please tell me now tell me not what's happening now what's happening now what's happening now and it's like mm-hmm. by your side through it that kind of dispels this idea that like humans are basically alone in this world connection isn't even an option right mm-hmm. on the deepest level and then two it can dispel can i handle it and also our emotions like what are emotions good or bad things? Like, is it okay to even it okay? have yeah. this feeling? Because yeah. it's not just, well, it's it's even more than, is it okay? Because like an ADP, when you move through the feeling, what you notice is you feel better afterward. Right, 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 right. Actually learn that it's a valuable, life-giving, rich, beautiful experience to have your feelings. That's like a complete opposite of what the prediction would be, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That there's actually like um, intrinsic value in in that emotional process that we go through. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, but yeah, I think we we went on a tangent there. So you were talking about like, if things are, are or are not disconfirmable. So are there situations where something cannot be disconfirmed? Or like, how how do you see that? Yeah, and then like, <clears throat> like, if someone's not like, about to get kicked out of their their housing situation. Like you, right. it's like, it's just a different life is complicated. So it's not, again, it's not only because of our psychological issues, that, right? Uh, not only that's not the only need we have is like to heal. We also just need help dealing with life. So like, that would be like a moment where therapists would be like more of a social worker role. Like, right. Right. This is a practical thing. It's on the outside. It's not in your head. <laughs> right. We're not going to disconfirm your need for housing security. <laughs> exactly. Or, no, yeah. We just have to right. deal with it. It's like the hierarchy of needs. Like, yeah, we got to have a basic, like, you got to be okay. Yeah. Now it is a little complicated though, because sometimes like, like if someone's in an abusive relationship, like that's a real danger. So mm-hmm. like step one is to like, to get them out of that danger. Right. Or, like, just relax, learn relaxation techniques or something. Right. You, of course you're scared. Of course you have fight or flight. Right. But it's a little tricky because sometimes they won't leave until some deep healing work has happened. So, you know, you just, right. whatever the entry point is of like, what's most urgent, but also what's most workable, like what needs to happen first yeah. before the other change can happen, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I find also it, it's tricky because a lot of the times with complex attachment trauma, there's this unconscious like repetition, you know, of what's familiar. And so people come into therapy, not just with the wounds from their childhood, but then being like, and then I had 20 more years of relationships that followed the exact same pattern and where I learned the exact same things. And so it's like that compounding learning, you know, kind of reinforced. It's reinforced. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So- yeah. So, I mean, I, I know when we, we, we can kind of be on, if, if we are sort of in wrapping up mode, which, because we talked about so much, Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and that, that was a, a, and a lot of, with a lot of detail actually. Um, yeah. I guess the, I guess the piece then is like, 
if you're wanting to do bottom-up experiential deep work, I mean, you are being a little bit of a detective to say, okay, we, this is a suffering on the surface. Yeah. I hate that I have this pattern where I keep choosing abusive people or drinking or not filling my potential or whatever, like procrastinating, whatever it is, or I get depressed or anxious or whatever, but what like symptom is at the top. It is a little that that's the, you know, the, the piece to learn different techniques for, but it's like a little bit like reverse engineering, like, okay, how did you get there? Mm-hmm. They're a, okay, well, you feel this because of this behavior. Okay. Okay. So what's underneath that behavior? Oh, this belief, you yeah. know, this unprocessed grief or this, you know, and you kind of like, it is a little bit of like every type of therapy has its own way of like sort of following backwards. Like, okay, we start with what we are conscious of, which is a symptom. And then we bring mindfulness to say, okay, what's just under that? What's under that? Like, what is that? So we, it's like, we're literally tracking the neural network. What yeah. Well, it's right. that, okay. What is that associated to? Like, why is that behavior important? Well, mm-hmm. because I believe this about people like, oh, okay. Like, where'd you learn that? You know? And it's kind of like, yeah. flesh that out for me. What exactly about people? And what does that mean you have to do? And, um, and that is really, uh, a very fun journey. And I know it is a little bit harder to learn than most forms of therapy because it mm-hmm. is, you know, it is like, it is like being a detective and like sourcing down right. thing and, um, but different, that's why it's great to learn a model. Cause every different model has sort of like their breadcrumb, like they they're tracking in through emotion or they're tracking in through the body or they're tracking in through like knowings, like, what do you yeah. know about, you know, like deeper, like let it speak or parts work. They each have like a unique way of tracking in, but they're all ultimately getting down to the tangle somehow. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you so much. This has been so great. I guess. Yeah. Before we do wrap up, is there anything else that you feel like we haven't mentioned that's important for people to know, or that you would want to share? I mean, I guess that's it. You know, the, the things we already talked about that we are yeah. doing the best. It's not our fault. If one of those tangles is active, we can yeah. wait to, to ourselves to, to do a different behavior. But if there's a tangle underneath that behavior saying, no, you have to do that behavior. We're just not going to change yeah. you know, for, for very long, you know? So, um, you know, I guess just that, that de-shaming, like it's, we're all doing our best. Um, and, and I do have, I guess, just in terms of like, for further, like I do have my YouTube channel where I talk about IFS and ADP and I'm just about next week to do a whole five part series on, um, coherence therapy. Oh, great. Yeah. So people really wanting to know about schemas, like a lot of this work is sort of the way we're talking about it today is Bruce Ecker's conceptualization. Um, so he has a great book called unlocking the emotional brain, but also love that that book series. Two of the videos will be just interviews with him. Um, so that'll be like a very deep dive into coherence therapies basically now, probably by the time this is posted, it'll be like on my YouTube channel. Um, and I am also starting next month to do a, um, my six month core training and all this yeah. stuff too, with like from various models, how are we getting down to like the piece that needs memory consolidation? So, um, anyone's welcome to check out my, you know, tutorials.com for the yes. training. You know. Yeah. I'll put all those links in the podcast yeah. description okay. so, so people can yeah. find it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Tori. I really, really appreciate right. you, you know, really appreciate joining me. Yeah.